0: Associated with the Shreya Ardikshit Memorial Foundation, this is the Distraction-Free Life Podcast. From personal stories to the legislation that is shaping the cause, this is your place to get the latest information and analysis of the distraction-free driving issue. Welcome to the Distraction-Free Life Podcast. I'm your host, Aish Gujral, and today we have with us a very special guest, his name is Mike Hansen. He currently serves as the Minnesota director, uh, Depar- director of the Minnesota Department of Public Safety, Office of Traffic Safety. He also serves as the designated governor's highway safety representative. He was appointed to this position in October of 2017. Prior to that, he was also the director of, of- the director of the Office of Traffic Safety and was employed with the Minnesota State Patrol. In 2017, he retired from the Minnesota State Patrol with nearly 35 years of law enforcement. During his tenure, he served many locations like Marshall, Minneapolis, Detroit Lakes, Thief River Falls Districts. He retired as the District Commander for the West Metropolitan District. He's also specialized in several areas like Crash Reconstruction Specialists, DWIs, SFST Trainers and Instructors, and Mobile Field Force Co-Commanders. He's also been very passionate about distracted driving and traffic safety issues. So without further ado, I'll let Mike tell us more about himself. How did you get here, and what have you done till now?
1: Well, thanks, Ayesha, and I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to join you today. And and thanks for the very kind and and wide-ranging introduction. Um, as you can see, I've, I've kind of spent a lot of time uh, moving around various parts of Minnesota um, as uh, part of my tenure with the state patrol. And then prior to that, uh, I had a, a short stint uh, working for a small law enforcement agency in central Minnesota while I was going to college. Um, and, you know, the, my career with the state patrol was, was really, um, I consider myself privileged to have uh, had the the opportunity to work with the quality individuals, uh, both as my partners and as uh, our leadership. And when it was coming time for my retirement, um, I consider myself so incredibly blessed that the opportunity to take the reins at the Office of Traffic Safety presented themselves. And what it really did is it gave me an opportunity to continue to work in a field and focus on something that I'm so incredibly passionate about, which is keeping and making Minnesota roads safe for everybody. And so we've got a great team at OTS. I'm privileged to be a part of a great team at at the Department of Public Safety. Every day is a new adventure. It's not driving a squad car, but there are different kinds of adventure out there as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to ask another question kind of related to what you're doing now. I know you've had so many different responsibilities in the past with all these different positions with these organizations, but today you're the director of the Minnesota Department of Public Safety, Office of Traffic Safety. So tell us more about that. What are your primary tasks and goals with that?
1: Well, if we look at our our overarching goal, or what our job is at the Office of Traffic Safety, it is to uh, ensure that Minnesota roads are safe for all users. And it's not just, you know, motor vehicles that we have to, to think about anymore, because we don't just have roadways and highways, we have a transportation system. And so that transportation system carries everything from large commercial motor vehicles to regular passenger cars. But we also have, you know, those non-motorized units that we have to pay attention to as well, uh, pedestrians and bicycles, and now we have motorized scooters and everything in between. And so, really, our job—it's it, large and it's complex and it covers the entire state. Uh, but at its core, it comes down to we're the behavior folks, and, and when you look at that traffic safety, as often as not, um, traffic safety is really dependent upon those drivers who are making those decisions behind the wheel. I work very closely with city, county, and state engineers at MnDOT. Um, they do fabulous jobs designing a safe transportation system. And they design that transportation system to be as forgiving as possible when a driver makes a mistake. But our job is to try and find ways to prevent those drivers from making those mistakes in the first place. Depending on on what set of statistics you want to take a look at, Aish, you know, motor vehicle crashes when they occur, 90 plus percent of those are the result of one thing and that's human error and so our job is to try and be the behavior specialist to prevent those errors from happening in the first place and we have a big toolbox and a lot of different ways that we try and do that.
0: Yeah and I think it's really interesting that you talk about the behavior side of things because typically when you think about like an enforcement body or a regulating body you don't really think about you know changing behaviors and trying to make sure people are more safe behind the wheel And I want to ask a specific question related to that, because just this last year, we made the biggest and most recent improvement in distracted driving, which was the hands-free law. And this legislation fundamentally changes the way we drive here in Minnesota. So I want to ask you, are you satisfied with how this law has played out today? And has it met your expectations?
1: I am satisfied with the way the law has turned out. Certainly, there are always going to be uh, ways that you can improve a good law, Um, But I think um, there was a tremendous amount of work, and I give Colonel Langer uh, a great deal of the credit for working behind the scenes and helping the authors to really come together and craft legislation that is very effective. Um, And so am I satisfied with the results? Let me put it this way, and it's a little bit too early to draw conclusions from some of the data sets that we have, um, but I am satisfied with the progress that we're making we still have a certain percentage of drivers um, that are making those ill-fated and selfish decisions to engage with that electronic device while driving. And therefore they're distracting themselves. But when we look at some of the trends out there and visiting with our law enforcement partners, uh, you know, while there's still activity out there for them to find, it's not nearly as prevalent as it was prior to the law going into effect. So I think we have a good law, we have good enforcement efforts, but really what it's gonna come down to, and and this is gonna take a while, changing behavior and changing culture um, takes time. And there's so many complications with these electronic devices, the way we're connected to them, the way that we're dependent on them, the way that we're addicted to them. It takes time for us to change those behaviors, but I think we will eventually get there Um, and we'll see more and more Minnesotans making that good smart decision to put that electronic device out of sight out of mind while we're driving our vehicles and certainly on the other end of the technology spectrum I think we all realize that the day and age of automated vehicles or driver assist uh, vehicle equipped vehicles um, are coming and so eventually you know we may not have to worry so much about that human factor but we have a long way to go between here and there and we have a long transition period between here and there so these are some of the futuristic things that we have to take a look at as well but to, uh, to to wrap up a very long answer to your question, uh, yes, I, I, I am satisfied with where we're at with the hands-free law and what it's doing, but we still have a lot of outreach and a lot of education to do in order to get that last remaining uh, segment of the population to make those good, safe decisions behind the wheel.
0: Yeah, and when talking about technology behind the wheel and the people that are most likely to be influenced by using your phone while you're driving. The first kind of demographic that comes to mind to me is the younger populations, the younger generations, because they're so much more connected with technology than anyone else in our population. And that makes them that much more vulnerable to things like distracted driving crashes because of use of their cell phone. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So what has the Office of Traffic Safety done in terms of initiatives to engage teen drivers or younger drivers when it comes to these behaviors?
1: You, you make a, a great point there, and I just want to build a little bit upon it, because when we look at the demographics of who is still interacting with those electronic devices, and we look at the enforcement statistics out there, certainly young unmarried males, um, those ages 19 and 20 to 35, 36, um, they're the ones that, that tend to be overrepresented in a lot of those, those statistics, um, but what we need to keep in mind, especially with our younger drivers, with our teen drivers, with our novice drivers, is what they don't have that many adult drivers who are just as addicted to those electronic devices as our younger drivers. They don't have the experience behind the wheel uh, that that can make a difference there. And so that's why we worked very hard to make sure that as we, we worked on the legislation, uh, we followed some federal guidelines and made sure that Our our young drivers, you know, those 15 to uh, 18-year-olds, they cannot interact with that device at all, period, unless it's an emergency behind the wheel. There is no exception for the hands-free for anybody who is under 18. So that's the first uh, uh, part of the the strategy that we we adopted to um, interact with and to uh, reach out to and affect our younger drivers. The other part of this is the way that we engage in our outreach and our educational efforts. Um, When we're going to reach our younger drivers, traditional approaches don't work. You know, regular TV commercials don't work. So we worked very hard with our office of communication to come up with the social media strategies that are really key to reaching into that younger demographic group. Because like you said uh, very well, they are so connected with that electronic device. That's how they get all of their information. And so we have ways to get into those networks and to put that information out there. And then we all work very hard uh, through the education and the outreach. And we do that in a number of different ways, one of which is partnering uh, with the State Patrol um, in their uh, outreach efforts and providing them with the information uh, that the troopers can go into those driver's education classes, into those high school groups, and and, show them real-world examples of the consequences of making that bad decision behind the wheel, particularly when it comes to being distracted. And the other thing that we have to incorporate into that message, uh, messaging age is that while we think of those electronic devices as being, you know, the the thing that that distracts us, and it is most prevalent that distracts our teen drivers. But if you look at the graduated drivers licensing law that restricts the number of passengers that young and oldest drivers can have, those also are significant uh distractors that have to be addressed and that's why the graduated licensing law works the way that it does so that we eliminate as many of those distractions as we can while those young drivers build up that experience base that is so critical to being a good safe courteous driver out there so there there's a a wide range of activities that we engage in and really it's those education and outreach opportunities that allow us to reach the most teen drivers or young drivers, uh, as opposed to, you know, the enforcement end. Of it. Yeah, certainly that has to be part of it, um, but it's not the only part of it. So it's a multi-pronged approach uh, to reach our younger drivers and also to reach all demographics that we continue to see uh, being distracted behind the wheel.
0: Yeah and I think there's a couple of interesting points that you bring up that I want to highlight as I go into this next question and one is that we always need to be able to adapt to how things are changing, how technology is growing and we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about autonomous cars. I want to ask some questions about that later but before that I think perhaps the biggest issue on our minds right now is COVID-19 and it's changed so many things and at least in terms of legislation here in Minnesota The biggest change that I see it's had is the introduction of the new asynchronous driver's ed classes that are now being put into certain bills and being proposed here and there. And these are not live classes without student teacher interaction. They're completely asynchronous and the student does it on their own. So what is your opinion of this? And do you think these can really work?
1: I think uh, it's hard to really come up with a definitive answer at this point because it's so new. Um, I think the opportunities that online education provides um, are are something that we need to look very closely at. Um, Now, whether the asynchronous uh, methodology is the correct way to go or whether we need to come up with a hybrid that allows for some student um, and teacher interaction um, I, I think we need to take a, a close look at that. And Minnesota is not alone in, in looking at some of these, uh, these challenges. It, it's really because COVID is a, well, it's a worldwide pandemic. So there are a number of other states that are also uh, examining this. And so um, I think the final chapter has yet to be written. And really, the proof is going to come in the next three to five years when we are able to follow the particular demographic group right now that's going through that asynchronous training because of the the uh, exemptions. uh, That were uh, part of the governor's executive orders and we're able to see how effective uh, those courses were or were not and quite honestly that will be uh, reflected in the crash rates and in the crash data that we look at for this particular age group that's going through this right now so. I guess uh, kind of tie it all together, this is a work in progress, and, and it is something that, that does have a great deal of attention at the legislature, um, and it's something that we as safety advocates are also watching very closely, uh, so um, it, there, there is no right answer just yet, but we're going to get there.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of factors at play. Like when you're doing asynchronous classes, you want to make sure there's accountability, there's integrity when you're taking tests. You want to make sure the students are still engaged. And you also want to make sure that in the long term, this doesn't hurt traffic safety, because that can be a big problem if distracted driving goes up, if these classes aren't effective. But I think there's one question that we really need to make sure we're addressing as we continue and talk more about these things. And it's what do the teenagers want? What do the kids who are getting these new driver's license and driver's ed classes, what do they want? And I think perhaps maybe a good place to find out about this, and I did a little bit of homework on this, is the task force on teen traffic safety. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and how they might incorporate into this mission?
1: Right. Well, and, and to, to go to your first point, you know, what do the teens want? You're right, that, that does need to be part of our discussion. Um, But we also have to temper that with what is effective. Um, And we can't prioritize convenience over quality. And so, you know, those are things that we all have to take a look at. And you mentioned the Teen Driver Safety Task Force, um, which is a, a group of individuals that we brought together, oh, in the last year or so. And it's made up of, we actually have a couple of teens on the task force uh, who have experience going through this, this driver's education uh, process. Uh, industry representatives from both public driver's education uh, 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 providers, as well as private driver's education providers. And we have a number of safety advocates or traffic safety advocates that also sit on that board. And really their their mandate from uh, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety is to take that, that broad overhead view of teen driver safety. So it's everything from how we're teaching our teens to drive to legislation that we might need to put into place to help keep our teens Uh, to looking at curriculum for how we provide driver's education and what needs to be included in that. Is it an appropriate length uh, to looking at the the testing process and what needs to be included with that? And so it's a a big ask for this group of individuals to come together and to take a look at that, but we rely on them uh, to provide us with input as we make those policies. And so I think, uh, again, to circle back to you know, what do the teens want, we do want to know what the teens want. We want to know what's effective. Um, but we also have to make sure that um, we are giving them the quality education that they deserve. And that, quite honestly, is going to be required uh, in order for our teens to enter into that driving world Um, in a safe way so that they're comfortable and, and that everybody else is comfortable with them on the road as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's super important to make sure that these classes, asynchronous or not, are serving their purpose and they're able to actually help educate the teens and these new drivers as they get on the road, because that's really what's going to impact them in the decades to come as they continue to drive. I want to transition a little bit into some, a different issue here related to technology. And over the past few decades, we've seen technology grow and slowly we've been gaining the ability to make autonomous cars. And this is a big issue for traffic safety and just traffic in general. So in many ways, this can be both good and bad and arguably, you know, it could go either way. But regardless, the growth of these cars is inevitable. They're eventually gonna make it to our roads. So what programs or initiatives do you have or have planned in preparation for the rise of these autonomous cars?
1: Great question and and very timely. And actually, Minnesota has, has taken a very upfront approach to connected and autonomous vehicles. And under Governor Dayton, a uh, uh, an advisory task force was put together, the governor's advisory task force. And it's currently led uh, by uh, folks from the MnDOT, Office of Connected and Automated Vehicle Technology. And uh, as part of that, I uh, co-chair the Safety Subcommittee. And so uh, we are addressing the very issues that you're, you're getting at. What is this going to look like as these vehicles begin to enter our fleet? And these connected and automated vehicles, um, they're, they're designed and programmed to obey all of the traffic laws. Well, I think anybody who spent any time on the road uh, probably understands that human beings aren't necessarily really good at, at all of that. And so we're, we really have to think carefully about how this integration is going to take place, how it's going to be managed, uh, what phases it's going to take place. The technology it literally every day is evolving and changing and getting better. You know, if we talk about, you know, the technical aspects of it, there's, typic, there's five levels of autonomous vehicles that are currently recognized. Um, You know, level one is like having cruise control and, you know, some of those low level driver assist systems. And then we go all the way to level five, which is a fully autonomous vehicle that doesn't have a steering wheel or anything. All it is is a transportation vessel. Um, We're not anywhere near level five yet. As a matter of fact, we're, we're a ways off from level four for transporting passengers. Now, when we start to look at some of the other applications for our automated vehicles, in the next few years, we will see automated delivery service vehicles uh, sharing the roads uh, with us as as that technology continues to evolve. But again, it comes down to the safety factors. And right now, if you look at, if you or, or any of your friends or your, your folks uh, have looked at you know new vehicles that are coming out with the advanced driver assist systems. These are the, the cruise control, uh, the automatic braking, the lane keeping systems, all of that. They're all really great systems, but they're only as good as the driver who knows how to use them. And so we really need to pay attention to, um, and this is where I think we need to take a look at our driver's education system, uh, and make sure that our young drivers and our novice drivers are technology smart when it comes to how to interact with these advanced driver assist systems, because if you don't use them or if you use them incorrectly, they actually make the vehicle more dangerous. And so we want to avoid that at all costs. And we want to see the full benefit of that technology that helps human beings, uh, uh, not make mistakes behind the wheel which can lead to a crash
0: yeah and there's several like there's several limitations or problems that come into place when we're trying to integrate autonomous cars with drivers on the road, because I can imagine a road with 100% autonomous cars and it could work out. But if there's not 100%, let's say 50% autonomous cars and the other half are normal drivers, there's that interaction can be difficult and that could maybe cause more traffic safety issues. But I think one big problem or the longer, the, the longer term issue that we need to kind of talk about with this is changing sentiments. And reliability in it. Like, I'll give the example of COVID 19 vaccines. All the science and technology and all that told us that it's okay and we can take the vaccine, yet the public was still hesitant to take it. And I think that's going to play out the same with autonomous cars. We can say that these cars are skilled and we can trust them, but it's a different thing to actually trust them as a society and as a public. So, how do you think the Office of Traffic Safety influencing behaviors can help play a role in this?
1: You know, that's a great question, and, and I'm going to recruit you to be a member of our safety committee because you, you hit on one of our key mandates, or one thing that we are really focused on, is how do we sell the safety benefits? How do we communicate that to the general public? And um, I'll boil it down into its simplest terms. We're going to use data because the data will start to evolve that will show the efficacy of these uh these advanced driver assist systems and of that technology and if we can show through data through science that these systems work that they're safe we can overcome some of that skepticism just like we have with the COVID 19 vaccine um through education and through data and you know using all of science uh to to come together to show its effectiveness and its its limited Uh, side effects. Um, That's how we get folks on board, uh, not only with a vaccine, but also with new and emerging technology. It's just going to take us that time and then the correct messaging vehicle to get that that information out to everybody. Uh, But that's a great point. And, And right now, there is a lot of skepticism out there amongst uh, many adults when it comes to trusting technology. I mean, we've all sat in front of our computer trying to figure out why it wouldn't do what it's supposed to do. And, you know, we translate that into hopping into this, this autonomous vehicle now uh, that's controlled by computers, that's gonna take me safely from point A to point B. Um, you know, that's terrifying for a lot of people. And uh, so it's, it's gonna take time. It's gonna take demonstrations. It's gonna take experience. And it's going to take data, we got to get the data out there to convince people to get that first or second experience under their belt. And then once they do that, um, slowly that acceptance should build.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like, so when I think about this issue, there's so many different aspects to it. So there's like what we just talked about, which was technology to the public to the social aspect, but there's also technology connected to the law. And I think as, you know, there's more technology growing and we have more developments and it diversifies, law is also going to have to change and adapt as we go, maybe broaden, maybe become more strict. So how do you think, you know, the growth of autonomous cars, the growth of all these new technologies will change laws here in Minnesota or abroad?
1: Oh, I, I think absolutely it will. And, and that is one of our uh, one of our challenges is how do we look at, current traffic law which some of this dates back into the 1930s and the 1940s Um, and how do we adapt current law to new technology or how does new technology adapt to current law Um, and so this is going to be a long process and it's not going to be necessarily an easy process just for example if you're in an autonomous vehicle or what that vehicle does um, if it's involved in a crash Um, who's actually controlling it and who has the responsibility for it, who has to have the insurance, who's criminally liable for what happens with that vehicle, if it's a software glitch or is it a user glitch. Um, So all of those things are going to have to be hashed out. And these are very thorny issues. And there's a lot of people across the country way smarter than I am that are working on it. So um, I'm looking forward to reading their recommendations uh, as we move forward.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really good plan. I know it's gonna be like a decades long process and this is gonna take a long time for autonomous cars to get integrated, for people to be okay with it, for laws to change. All of this is gonna take a really long time. I just wanna transition here into our last point or a last kind of question as we wind down here. And that's what message do you have for Minnesota drivers today in the long, or in the long-term future about autonomous cars or just traffic safety in general?
1: Okay, I'll, I'll give you kind of my standard stump speech uh, for that. Um, first of all, my message to all drivers in Minnesota is, um, if we can solve four driver beat, we could almost virtually eliminate uh, fatal and serious crashes that occur on Minnesota roads. And number one, it goes without saying, never drive pairs. You always have to have a plan, never, ever drive impaired and never, ever get in a vehicle with somebody who may be impaired. Um, uh, that, that, that is over a third of our fatal crashes right now are impairment related. Number two, and this is really a more recent phenomenon, is we need to slow down. Just because your car um, has four or 500 horsepower, which if, when I was your age, that was a race car. The only place you found that kind of horsepower was on a racetrack. But now it's very common uh, to, to have cars with that kind of power uh, out on our roads. And you know, there's, there's an old saying, just because you can doesn't mean you should, um, really comes into play here. The transportation system is designed to work best when traffic flows together. And when you have that that differential in speed, either very high or very low, um, that's where a lot of our problems and a lot of crashes result from. So we need to drive smart. Speed is the one thing that every driver is in control of at every minute they're behind the wheel. And we need to make good smart decisions to do that. Um, We have a huge issue on Minnesota roads right now uh, with these extreme speeds. And we need to get that back under control or we're going to lose another four hundred plus people in crashes this year. I, you know, you know, I spent a lot of times as a state trooper, and you know, I've I've seen a lot of really horrific things, and I'm convinced there is no more violent way for a human being to die than in a, a motor vehicle crash. Um, the human body is just not designed uh, to absorb the kind of forces that come into play uh, in a crash. The third thing that I emphasize take that two seconds and put that seatbelt on. Um, there is no excuse not to have a seatbelt on and it's every seat, every trip, every time. Um, we're still seeing you know, 30 plus percent of the fatalities. Um, seatbelts don't cause crashes, but seatbelts prevent serious and fatal injuries. Um, So if a driver is going too fast and they crash and they don't have that belt on and they're ejected, the chances of them suffering a life-changing or fatal injury are are exponentially increased. Um, And then finally, our topic of the day is driving is a complex task. Human beings are not capable of multitasking in spite of what anybody will say. Human beings are capable of doing one thing well at a time. If you're driving that needs to be the thing that you are doing well at that time. So you put the electronic device away, you put the conversations on hold, don't allow yourself to be distracted by passengers, don't be messing with the radio, the climate controls or any of the other multitude of distractions um, that that we as human beings can can kind of zone in on. So if we can solve those four things, we can make Minnesota roads incredibly more safe. And then finally, When it comes to that connected and automated vehicle, if you have a vehicle today that is equipped with those advanced driver safety systems, know what your systems are and know how to use them. And um, if it means you gotta go back to your dealer for re-education, then then do that because those systems are there and they will prevent crashes. Um, In spite of human beings trying really hard to crash, those systems will prevent that. And so you need to know how to use those. Technology will eventually save us from ourselves as human beings. Um, it, it, will, it will make our roads safer. We need to embrace that technology, but we need to embrace it in a very smart way.
0: Yeah, lots of great messages there. All super important things related to traffic safety. And in general, just you know, for all drivers, just use your common sense. Do what you want the driver next to you to do. Don't be using your phone. Don't be loud on the radio. Don't be talking to anyone. Be in the moment and focused on driving. You want the person next to you to do that, you should do that too. And I think, you know, all these great things that you talked about. So thank you so much for being here, Mike. And it's really awesome to hear so many of your opinions and all these new emerging issues, COVID-19, hands-free law, autonomous driving and all this stuff. So thank you so much.
1: Ayesha, it's been a pleasure. Uh, uh, You are a, a very great host. Um, I've done a few of these, and you ask good questions, uh, and they're well thought out, and I I really enjoyed our visit today.
0: Associated with the Shreya Ardikshit Memorial Foundation, this is the Distraction-Free Life podcast. From personal stories to the legislation that is shaping the cause, This is your place to get the latest information and analysis over the distraction-free driving issue.